0: This is the Frontier of Finance, the podcast that covers the hottest new funds and important milestones of marquee funds in Canada. On the Frontier, we go directly to the source, interviewing portfolio managers, executives, and sales leaders at the top asset management firms. Stay on top of the latest innovations, react to market trends, and make better investment decisions for your clients. I'm your host, James Rockwood, and I'm welcoming you to the Frontier of Finance. cryptocurrency. The term has become a household topic and continues to make headlines after gaining astounding momentum since the beginning of the pandemic. Today, we're pulling the curtain back on a new product that brings crypto into the portfolios of traditional retail investors without the involvement of a cryptocurrency wallet. I'm thrilled to welcome two first-time guests to the show. Joining us from CI Global Asset Management is Jennifer Sinopoli, Senior Vice President, and Head of Distribution for Central Canada. As a former VP of Sales and Marketing, Jennifer brings a background of education and support for retail investment advisors, and now leads the largest sales team in Canada at CI GAM. Also joining us is Paul Capelli, Portfolio Manager at Galaxy Digital Asset Management. Before joining Galaxy, Paul was the Director of Fixed Income at State Street Global Advisors and Director in High Yield at Oppenheimer. Thank you both for coming on the show today. I'm really excited to get into this topic. Paul, Jennifer, welcome to the Frontier. Great to be here.
1: Thanks for having me as well. It's great to be here.
0: So digital assets like cryptocurrency and more recently NFTs have been making headlines since the beginning of the pandemic and have evidently started to become more mainstream. In fact, Galaxy Digital cited almost $33 having been being invested into crypto and blockchain startups last year. Before we dive into the mechanics of investing in crypto, I'd love to know, why does the digital asset space exist, and what does it offer that traditional products can't? You know, when you look at digital assets
2: and you kind of see what's happening globally, right? Digital assets were founded about 10, 12 years ago when Satoshi Nakamoto released the white paper, and it really developed that of distrust for the current system. It developed really due to the fact that people in 2008 were so uh, somewhat, you know, kind of disgusted with the overall banking system um, and the way that, you know, institutions and middlemen and kind of these gatekeepers were addressing the current financial climate. And if you look now to where we've gone, right, what's happening now is you're still seeing that distrust exist. But it's expanded, right? It's expanded to not just in the financial system, but you know in the tech sector, for example, right? Where you have Amazon and Google and these corporate conglomerates that are mining your data and they're able to follow you uh, around the internet. And that's all gone against the backdrop of the fact that we are going from a more local society to a more global society, and we are moving really from what you'd call a you know a more analog society to a, a digital society. And we saw that really kick into high gear and accelerate during COVID, right? So COVID really was, uh, you know, horrible for a lot of different reasons, but it certainly accelerated digital assets. It accelerated kind of this digital society that we are now uh, living in, and it's really showing that, you know, the internet itself should have its own basic form of currency. We should have the ability to use things like. Uh, DeFi applications, right, um, show ownership on the blockchain, the expansion of the uh, creator economy around, you know, NFTs, artists, curators, social media personalities, athletes, everyone's taking to this new world where they can have direct contact with their audience, right, whether that be clients or whether that be fans. And that's also kind of building into this whole digital narrative. So you have Bitcoin on the the one hand, which is really the start of the call it's a call option on the on the future financial system. And then you have kind of this whole new world that's kind of developing on the blockchain around digitization with things like Ethereum, Solana, um, and other, you know, web-based, you know, kind of new form of web 3.0, if you will,
0: um, part of the internet. Would you say that right now it's still fringe or contra sort of traditional investment systems, or is it now moving more into uh, another asset class for people to access widely?
2: I think it's still very new conceptually for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons, right? They can't wrap their mind around, you know, kind of digitization and digital assets, or they don't have the ability to understand or, or use the UI that, that is still kind of rough and, and kind of exists within, you know, crypto and digital assets. And then there's other things that scare them, right? There might be sensationalized headlines, they might be worried about volatility. But I think anyone who comes into this space and you know buys a little bit of bitcoin or uses a defi application or or trades on a decentralized exchange or you know buys an nft really starts to understand the value and the proposition for crypto and digital assets so i think while it's still very new it's certainly becoming i don't know what i would call maybe less taboo or there's less confusion around you know what the use cases are for digital assets. So it certainly went from being, you know, something that was you know, very nascent to a lot of people to now it is certainly in uh, the mainstream and it's still very, very, very early uh, in the overall adoption cycle. But what we're seeing is there's so much more familiarity with digital assets and this is certainly now becoming uh, an asset class. And then within that asset class, we're now seeing different sectors develop. So the growth is there. But it does definitely needs time to become more mature and become a little bit more seasoned, like you would see in, in a lot of other asset classes. But the one thing that you cannot deny in crypto and in digital assets is that it is moving at a pace that we have really never seen another asset class develop at before.
0: Yeah, and I think it's interesting because it's a highly skepticized investment vehicle that's obviously seen a fair share of, of volatility and, and mixed headlines in a pretty short period of time as it carries over into more of the mainstream space. What confidence can the wealth industry give investors, despite some of the initial reaction to it? You know, a year ago
2: today, we launched our first ETF with our partners in Canada uh, in Bitcoin. But if you if you kind of just look around the world globally, the place like the U.S. has not been as forward thinking, or is not you know is not ready to approve something like something as simple as a Bitcoin ETF, right? So if you think about where we are, right, advisors, the wealth space, they're all realizing that if we're not long, we're short, right? And we should be having an allocation um, to digital assets in our portfolio. Our our CEO of Galaxy Digital, uh, you know, fame macro investor, uh, Mike Novogratz, says now crypto and digital assets makes up 0.5% of, you know, the overall economy uh, globally. And he thinks that if you want to have a well-rounded portfolio, you should have at least That much of an allocation in your uh, to digital assets within your overall portfolio, which which I think does make a lot of sense because it shows how far we have come. And if you are worried about things like inflation, you are worried about the current state of the of the tech sector and kind of you know the inefficiencies there. You should, if you want to be part of this new kind of digital creator economy, right? You should have a little bit of an allocation to digital assets and be part of the growth. Uh, That exists there, right? Because if you if you don't do that, you are missing out on what could be really a generational uh, opportunity in this sector.
0: And and I think that's interesting. I mean, ETFs made in the '90s to start, but but really kind of hit mainstream headlines and adoption in sort of post 2008, early 2010s. Crypto and and NFTs have obviously been on a on a much faster scale. Like, do you think this is going to be as large of a change? to wealth management space, to the investment management space as ETFs, things can be larger, just love to kind of get, cause that might be the only that I can think of similar type of sort of large change or fundamental product change that's hit the industry in the last 20, 20 years. You know, I was an old ETF
2: guy before coming uh, over to Galaxy, right? So I saw what, especially in the credit side, what ETFs did um, in that market, right, where they caused, you know, new liquidity, they caused price discovery, they caused, you know, they, they made trades, uh, you know, very directional, but but overall, they were very good for the market and transparency and providing um, liquidity. I think on the digital asset side, there's a lot of ways for investors to get access, but there's not a lot of ways for them to safely get access to what has really become a new, you know, ownership type of, of, of assets, right? You hear things like not your keys, not your coin, right? You have to worry about things like, you know, your tax documents, your custody, you know, who the provider is of these products, because you're not seeing, you know, kind of the the classic gatekeepers now involved uh, in the digital asset space. And, and our pledge um, here at Galaxy and, and working with our partners in Canada at CI was to make sure that we are providing the most you know, reputable, institutional, uh, low-cost products that there are that exist that are giving investors access to what we really believe is the kind of the next wave of finance. So this technology, right, especially, you know, in a sector like uh, decentralized finance, right, where you have uh, decentralized exchanges, you have uh, lending protocols, you have uh, asset management, you have access derivatives. As this stuff starts to mature, as the user experience starts to become better, you're going to see, I think, more and more people invest because they're going to understand the benefits to being able to use and have exposure to digital assets. And the same way that ETFs, for example, were not in everyone's portfolio 10, 20 years ago, now it's almost laughable to think that you don't have ETFs as some level of access in your portfolio. I think in 10, 20 years, you're gonna see the same with crypto. I think you're gonna see larger allocations. I think it's gonna make sense for a lot of people. And I think that you know we're still very early in the adoption cycle. And the adoption will continue, and this will continue to be a larger part of people's portfolios as the asset class expands.
0: Yeah, and you made an interesting point about the access to the platform, you know, who's the provider, some of the risks potentially associated with that. Can you just, for our listeners, really quickly describe, you know, the process of of trying to purchase a digital asset today versus using an ETF to effectively purchase them?
2: Yeah, sure. So, really you know, what do ETFs do? ETFs give you the ability to hold a digital asset in your portfolio, similar to the way you would hold a stock, right? And you still get access to the same liquidity, you're still getting access to the same return stream, you're still getting access to, you know, the same uh, level of uh, custody, but, but it's a much easier way to access any market, right? Digital assets are no different. And that's why you see so much discussion around ETFs globally, you know, are there going to be more ETFs that allow for exposure to digital assets? If you don't use an ETF and you have access to it, you're going to have to go to a platform or a broker or a private investment. And then you're going to have to figure out ways to either handle your tax documents. You're going to figure out ways that you need to trade it and get the right liquidity. You're going to figure out uh, all the different fees that could be uh, embedded into the, into the transaction and it's really going to be that the ownership is on you and you have to decide do i want to custody it uh you know on an exchange which is relatively unsafe are you going to want to have it you know locked away in something like uh like a treasure right where you can keep it in cold storage and own the keys um yourself so really by accessing something that is very familiar to a lot of people such as an etf it's giving them the same exposure that they could otherwise have, but it's giving it to them in a way like they have everything else within their portfolio, which I think is a super important point. You want to be able to take your investments, look at them in one place, feel like they're safe, understand that you you know your taxes and everything will be accounted for. And, and then you don't really have to manage the entire process, where if you're dealing with digital assets somewhere else, you certainly would have to be very much
0: more hands-on. Um, and, and there's likely a way that something can
2: uh, certainly slip through the
0: cracks. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think that kind of goes to potentially proving or proving at the point that it is such a new industry, is where you're talking about sort of the complexity of trying to purchase it on your own versus the simplicity of going after an ETF and how much harder it can be um, or potentially more variable or less secure it can be to, to buy it on your own. So I think that's a really neat point. And I think at that, I mean, with the frontier, we're always trying to cover new fund launches. At the end of January, CI and Galaxy announced the new CI Galaxy Multi Crypto Fund. This product joins the CI Galaxy Bitcoin and Ethereum funds. We'd love to know from CI's perspective, why was it important to create a multi crypto fund and then what is the strategy behind it?
1: Our first crypto launches, although they were, you know, I would say wildly successful, Um, From an advisor and a client perspective, we kept on hearing the feedback that we were getting was that they didn't know or understand or have the time really to allocate between the two products. And given the space's volatility, it was very difficult to make those decisions within the portfolio. Also, I guess, in fairness, with it being a relatively new asset class and space from a Canadian retail landscape, there wasn't a ton of firms with dedicated research or adoption or really any support for any advisors that were interested in allocating you also had no way or a vehicle to add it to a client's portfolio as, as Paul mentioned earlier so it was really reserved for the do it yourselfers at the time and given that volatility most clients being risk averse where you know canadian assets in particular lie in terms of demographics there was a demand to find a way to dampen that volatility and so you know one of the key barriers for investing in crypto has been the volatility and that risk of that prolonged or severe down drawdowns so we knew that there was a need for this product, and so working with Galaxy, you know they created this trend signaling proprietary model, which is able to now provide stronger risk-adjusted returns compared to holding that passive, long-only crypto solution. And Paul also mentioned it earlier, you know the crypto markets are continuing to mature. and so investors that are in the space, and there's a lot more now today than there was a year ago, are increasingly seeking more sophisticated products that offer that diversification and also um, those features that reduce the volatility. And when we look at timing, I mean, it couldn't have been better as with all risk assets, you know, December to January. Now it was a period when markets just completely repriced. And obviously we have, you know, rate increases and lots of volatility going on globally. Bitcoin and Ether peaked in November. And throughout January, crypto experienced you know significant declines, uh, which shows us that although they've generated exceptional trailing returns, the drawdowns have been large and quick. And so, just knowing the global situation today, the persistent volatility in risk assets, you know, rate hikes, everything that's going on, it's beneficial for those that want to participate in the upside potential of crypto, but don't want to have or don't have the time really to. To, to take on the risk of the actual market. This is where this product comes in perfectly as a lower vol systematically managed um, solution. So that's why we say in terms of timing, um, this was really the perfect opportunity to be able to offer this product to investors.
0: Yeah, I think it's a really interesting thing to watch sort of that intersection between, you know, such a such a high volatility asset class um, with a lot of, of, of announcements and coverage specifically around volatility. And then having it fit into sort of that longer term view of wealth management and financial goals and trying to find ways to sort of reconcile both. I don't know that there's necessarily been that, that challenge before. That that's been obvious, you know. Even with ETFs, there there are many low volatility ETFs, or, or relatively, or, or even just understandable ones that that people could easily understand, like S and P 500, for example. Long indices that have been tracked for for quite some time. I think it's a really interesting challenge. It's going to be a really interesting thing to see how advisors try to position this type of product to their customers and to retail clients, and how it's going to end up being adopted by. Um, advice and and sort of what the timeline looks like. So it's interesting.
2: Yeah, especially because if you think about most investors, you know, we talk about time horizons here at Galaxy. And we think that, you know, three to five years is a good period of time where you should think about holding digital assets and and your crypto exposure, especially where we are in the cycle of this kind of growth phase and, and new asset class. But The simple fact of the matter is that's just not necessarily the investment profile for everyone. And giving investors a liquid, transparent option to hold digital assets and to help manage some of that volatility is very beneficial, especially for those investors that are a little bit less risk averse and don't necessarily have the same time horizon. And within that, they don't have to sacrifice liquidity because we have the ETF wrapper, which really... Does provide you know a nice mix of both liquidity and giving you the ability to also manage that volatility in a transparent way that's that's model driven
0: and, and then how would an advisor speak to a retail investor about this etF in particular, trying to describe it and and then also reconcile that idea of of the high volatility with with those longer term goals?
1: You know one thing in Canada that we're still struggling with is that Advisors are still unable to solicit clients with any of these crypto ideas. However, given, you know, all the media and the recent headlines, clients are coming directly to advisors for advice and for that access. And so it's really important for us that advisors can explain and also access this for their clients and just knowing that there's a case for Bitcoin, um, being able to easily trade it, whichever ETF you want, or, or buying the new multi-crypto ETF, um, just giving that single secure solution that can exist with all the other assets on the exchange or within the portfolio is, is so important for a retail investor who wouldn't have the time or the understanding to use the digital wallets. So I think that's just important in itself to note that you know even though there's a, a lot of adoption Globally, in the retail space in Canada, it's still um, slow when it comes to, you know, advisor access and there's it still has to be client driven in, in most cases.
2: If I'm an advisor in this position and, and my clients are particularly retail and they are a little less risk averse, but they do want digital asset exposure. I'm going to explain to them that, you know, you're in a market that is trending lower or selling off. This product is designed to cap your downside risk. And rotate more uh, into cash until the market settles, um, and then when you know the, the moving averages change and and the signals uh, reverse, it's going to increase your allocation and exposure to digital assets, allowing you to capture um, you know a lot of the upside risk. Now you're going to sacrifice a little bit of the return stream that you would in straight beta exposure, but I think for a lot of clients, especially in the retail sector who you know may not have the risk tolerance, a product like this gives you a good hedge to the downside while also really providing you with the ability to capture a lot of the growth to the upside. And I think that should be attractive um, to investors that are a little more risk averse or unfamiliar with digital assets or who don't want to you know, manage their, their Bitcoin and Ethereum risk individually. They now have a portfolio that takes into account both of those assets, which really do... Cover a pretty robust portion of the overall exposure to the growth of the asset class.
0: And on that note, too, like what what kind of retail investor would find this new fund ideal for their portfolio, or what sort of financial goal would he be looking for? I mean, obviously, if if it's demand driven, um, Jennifer, it's a, it's an interesting and good point, point. and I think also shows some of the how new the industry is and how new this sort of asset class is with this type mechanic in it, but. Uh, given that it's people who who are asking for it essentially are are going to be the ones who can can receive it potentially, how would you then find like what what's the ideal uh, investor at that point? Not just necessarily people who ask, but beyond that.
1: I mean, I think it's important to note that certainly a risk aware investor, and to really sort of tie it up in a neat little bow, but somebody that wants to participate in most of the upside potential of our, the two world's largest cryptocurrencies, but wants to simultaneously minimize downside risk. And then you get all those other benefits that Paul spoke about um, that our other crypto products offer, such as having that access through the ETF, security, liquidity. But I think the the one point that we haven't talked about too much, but is so important is just getting that professional management from Galaxy, who's a world-class leader in the crypto space.
0: Yeah, that's really helpful. On that, I mean, and and also speaking to the strategy, I think it was important, Paul, of trying to find a way to make the sort of hardcore, you know, pure Bitcoin ETF or pure Ethereum ETF a little bit more palatable for most retail investors who may not have that level of risk tolerance. How would you use though the multi-crypto ETF in a portfolio? What would you pair it well with, and and how would you distribute it?
2: It really depends on what the risk appetite is for each investor. It depends on you know, obviously what their risk taking ability is, it it, it depends on, you know, how much money ultimately they have uh, to allocate digital assets. But I think for a lot of investors, I think the ones that, you know, might have a little bit of a shorter time horizon, the ones that might be a little bit more risk averse, uh, the ones that would like to, you know, manage multiple exposures, but all through one investment, this fund is very suitable for that. And, Obviously, if you if the thing if one of the things that keeps you up at night is volatility, or you have uh you know a portfolio that is you know not really going to put a large amount of capital into digital assets, this might make a lot of sense. You know, for the last you know few years, uh, we've seen digital asset allocations in a lot of portfolios mm-hmm. increase. For a long time, it was you know kind of that fifty basis points to to two percent, and now a lot of investors are starting out with. One to two percent, and going high as high as you know five or ten. I think that if you're worried about volatility and you have a little bit of a a larger allocation, this is probably a good fund for you, especially uh, you know in markets that you know globally right now are in you know in some ways uncharted territory, but certainly in uncertain times. We've been really seen a period of you know high conviction, um, you know a lot of growth, bull market over the last you know, 10, 15 years since the financial crisis. And now that might be changing a little bit. And this is the first time in a long time, I think uh, investors have really felt that the markets have become um, dramatically um, unpredictable. And we don't really know where we're going forward, but I think that everyone is still looking for ways to invest. They're looking for different ways to get exposure. I think that it's widely accepted now that this is an asset class. Um, And it will continue to grow and have a larger role in portfolios. So I think a fund that is able to account for some of the risk, the volatility, and certainly helps you manage to the downside without really having to uh, do anything yourself really is uh, attractive to uh, a lot of investors and will continue to be even as this kind of period of uncertainty passes.
0: And then how is CI expecting the multi-crypto fund to perform differently from the other crypto funds it has?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Paul answered this earlier, but um, when you look at a long only strategy, um, the whole idea behind that systematic momentum trading strategy is really to provide a you know, much lower down capture for the trade off of a reasonable decline in up capture. So over time, that minimization of drawdowns essentially should lead to outperformance. Um, versus the long-only strategies.
0: And then would you say, you know, this obviously has got to be the beginning for crypto ETFs. At what point would you potentially be considering, or digital, or sorry, Galaxy Digital, considering adding altcoins to an ETF product, or uh, conversely, to ever see asset managers launching their own coins?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I always say it's definitely just the beginning. You know, with this product specifically, we have the potential to add other crypto. And once more assets become available to the market, um, we can hedge using futures contracts. And so that will allow us to diversify. We're not there yet. But at some point, hopefully we'll get there. So it still remains an open-ended strategy based on what's available. And of course, what makes sense from an allocation perspective. When you look at CI in general, we're always looking to innovate and be a leader in this space in particular. And that's why this partnership with Galaxy is so key to us, because it gives us those insights as to where the next opportunity might be. And you know, we've pledged that we want to own this space in Canada and working with Galaxy truly gives us this opportunity. Our CEO, Kurt McAlpine, always says, we're just getting started as a firm, and I couldn't agree more. Um, this is really the first inning for us in terms of growth in the crypto space and for the broader organization. So keep an eye out for us when it comes to new product launches and thought leadership coming down the pipeline. Um, we're going to be very visible and lots of exciting things to come.
0: Yeah, I'm really interested to see how this space evolves and and as it becomes more m- matured and 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 you know, more similar to the traditional sort of spaces from an access perspective and and many of those an understanding perspective and the coverage continues to develop, it'll be really interesting to see how it's going to change everything. So I think it is something that could potentially have an opportunity to make really, really significant impacts to um, the wealth and investment management industry as a whole. So thank you so much for helping us cover these for the detailed insight into crypto and and how it works. And I think this has just been a really, really interesting piece. We're we're always excited to cover new funds. This is kind of covering a new fund and new asset class at the same time. So it's been a really, really fun podcast.
1: Thank you very much for having us, James. It's been a pleasure.
0: Yeah, thanks, James. Really appreciate it. Love to come back sometime. It's a great time to talk about cryptocurrency. People often speak about the risk of purchasing this currency in digital exchanges, and you can really see that this is an asset class in its infancy. What CI GAM and Galaxy Digital Asset Management have done is create much greater accessibility to these exchanges by offering a regulated solution that aims to lower the volatility of investing in this space. This is an example of why advice is so necessary. At this point, retail investors can purchase beyond the reach of their advisor, which underpins how essential it is for advisors to be aware of products that are getting a lot of attention regardless of merit. With these fundamental changes happening in the world of investing, being a retail investor's go-to person will open more opportunities for holistic discussions and deeper understandings of their goals and risk tolerance. Thanks again to Jennifer and Paul for joining us on the podcast. And thank you especially for stepping out onto the frontier with me. If you like what you hear, feel free to drop us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to have you join us. We'll see you next time on The Frontier.